Welcome to the Collecting Wisdom podcast. Collecting Wisdom is a space where you'll find intimate conversations on life, yoga, philosophy, spirituality, healing, transformation, and what it's like to live on purpose. From those that I've personally met and have collected wisdom from on my own path as a teacher, a healer, and a guide for others. I'm Marissa Rose, and I will be your host on the Collecting Wisdom podcast. And I hope that you're able to soak up the wisdom that is shared in these episodes, that these words resonate with you, that they inspire you towards change, and that they encourage you and empower you in your own journey as a teacher, a healer, a coach, and a guide. Feel free to listen to this podcast when you're on a walk, cooking in your kitchen, one of my favorite places to listen to podcasts, or driving in your car on a road trip somewhere that you love. I'm excited to be here with you, and let's start this journey. For our episode today, I am so excited to chat with Heather. Heather is a kundalini yoga teacher in Tulum who I met a couple of years ago, actually, during the pandemic when I was in Tulum, taking one of her beautiful kundalini yoga classes in a resort in the jungle. And she is someone that I've been able to stay connected with. I have gone back to Tulum to take her classes several times, and she will be a part of our 300-hour yoga teacher training next year. So Heather is a Kundalini yoga instructor, creator of the Empowered Teacher course for Kundalini trainee graduates, and the founder of Swan Love Holistics, her wellness services brand. As a psychodynamic and somatic therapist with over 1,000 accredited training hours in Kundalini, yoga therapy, and psychology, Heather's mission is to create a safe space for people to express their emotions so that the feelings can be fully acknowledged, processed, and so that healing can occur. As a person with a deep curiosity for esoteric wisdom, Heather has a dedication for finding effective methods for succeeding in the modern world and has a true love for teaching abstract applications in more digestible and relatable ways. Having successfully eradicated her own decades-long bout with depression and chronic back pain and having transformed important interpersonal relationships in her life, Heather shares techniques that are based on personal efficacy and experience. Her one-on-one work with clients is a therapeutic fusion of yogic wisdom and modern-day psychology for a complete revival of the soul. Okay. So hi, Heather. I'm so excited to sit with you today and just have a conversation around Kundalini and yoga and your journey. And Heather and I actually um, have been on a Kundalini yoga therapy journey together. She was a guide and a healer for me a couple of months ago. Um, I've also brought Heather into our retreats through the Well Studio at Tulum because that is where you currently live. And we were just together in person a couple of weeks ago. And it was such a beautiful experience to have you guide everyone that was on retreat with us through a pretty intense kundalini practice, which I'd love for you to talk and share about today. Um, And then I got the opportunity to do, you know, more of a one-on-one session with you. So 
This is going to be a really beautiful conversation for all of you that are listening today on the podcast, just around Kundalini and really what it's about. Kundalini is a practice that I personally fell in love with. It's one of those modalities that just works for me. And it's something that I just feel really passionate about. Even though I'm not a Kundalini yoga teacher, I feel really passionate about sharing and um, introducing other yoga instructors and people who are curious about this practice too, because it's been so healing for me. And it's one of those practices that I go to, to really help support and manage my own energy. So Heather is our expert and our guest today on Kundalini Yoga and plenty of other things. I know you do a lot. So I'd love for you to just share with us, you know, your journey of yoga and yoga therapy and Kundalini Yoga and what what really got you to this moment and a little bit of insight into what you currently do and what life looks like for you as a full-time teacher and yoga therapist. Thank you. Thanks for having mm-hmm. me. It's an honor to be on here. I'm so passionate about sharing um, this about this esoteric yoga or more esoteric yoga. I would say it's probably the most um, new yoga on the scene, so to speak, but it's just as ancient as all the others, other practices, uh, but it's really gaining popularity. Uh, I think too, because of its really undeniably fast effects uh, for helping people manage stress and anxiety and depression. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's an honor to be on here and to to let people know that there are other tools outside of what people might see on Instagram <laughs> when they look at yoga um, hashtags and things like that. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, been a really powerful practice for me that, uh, from what I know, directly impacts the energy body. And that's something that I was really interested in. And, you know, I have my own personal Kundalini practice that I get to do on my own now. Um, I actually use Glow and I really love Glow.com and Kia Miller. And I've obviously done a lot of one on ones and group sessions with you in Tulum. And, it's something that has really impacted me. Like, I love that you shared the the quick transformation that you can experience. And I definitely want to dig into that today and what Kriyas are so we can introduce that to people who may have never tried Kundalini. But I know that you also have a really powerful story of, you know, being a yoga practitioner and then finding Kundalini and really having Kundalini heal you as well. So I'd I'd love to hear that story if you're open to sharing that with us. Yeah. I mean, it's often called the fast track yoga. So for those Mm. people out there listening who are looking for quick results, I would say this is the yoga practice Mm. for you. And I can definitely say that in my own experience, that also was relevant for me. So I had a 15 year long vinyasa practice I wasn't a teacher. I'm not trained in vinyasa or ashtanga, but that was my personal practice for 15 years. And I suffered from depression the whole time. So my onset Mm -hmm. of depression was around age 19. I was in, it was my sophomore year in college was when my depression started and it was Kundalini that healed me from it. So I would say my vinyasa practice definitely tempered my symptoms of depression, 
but I still had depression the whole time that I was practicing vinyasa. And of course, in the early years, I wasn't as serious about my practice. Um, it was probably around 2007 back in Denver, Colorado, when I relocated back from South America, that I got really serious about my practice and, you know, was going sometimes twice a day and it was definitely mm -hmm. supporting me. But when I hit rock bottom in 2010, 2011, I had made a lot of um, moral decisions that I thought I would have never made in my life. I was financially broke and I was just at literally the bottom of my life. And I realized that grieving, I was in, the, in a grieving process of a relationship that really tore me up as a person. And I just was like, I can't do this anymore. And it, it felt to me like a fork in the road of, all right, it's either time to go on meds, like prescription drugs and like go see a psychiatrist or do something different. Mm -hmm. And I, in my late twenties, I had a neighbor friend of mine who had credited Kundalini yoga as saving her life. And I didn't know what it was. I just knew that she used to get up around the sunrise or before the sunrise and meditate. And she was very devoted to her practice. And that wasn't anything that anyone I knew who was practicing vinyasa was doing. <laughs> and so I thought, what is this yoga? And I'll just follow her lead. She said it changed her life. So there was a really famous I was living in Los Angeles at the time, and there was a really famous Kundalini studio called Golden Bridge Yoga. Mm -hmm. And I knew that's where she practiced. So I literally just went there. <laughs> I, quit, I quit my yoga membership at this other studio, and I signed up for a month unlimited at Golden Bridge, and I just started practicing Kundalini Yoga. And mm. I will say that <laughs> I had resistance to it in the beginning mm -hmm. because it was so different than my vinyasa practice that. I didn't initially like it, but I felt better. Mm. I didn't understand it either, but I felt better. And that was, mm. it was undeniable. So I kept going. And yeah. about a year and a half into practicing Kundalini yoga, I decided it was time to do a teacher training. I still wasn't convinced that I was going to do Kundalini yoga teacher training, but mm -hmm. I knew it was time to because people throughout my life, throughout my yoga journey were always like, you'd be a great teacher. When, why don't you do teacher training? And my response was always when it's the right time. And mm -hmm. I, I'll know when, it, when it's the right time. Mm -hmm. Because I had a former life in the music business and it never felt like the right time. <laughs> mm -hmm. And then suddenly it felt like, all right, it, it, it's arrived. And I actually, ironically, I had come down to Tulum, Mexico for Christmas uh, vacation. and decided that, all right, 20, what year was it? It was 2000. Well, next year it'll be 10 years. So it, it was 2013 okay. um, that I started my training and it's a kind of a funny story. Um, LA yoga magazine used to, in their December issue, put up all the upcoming teacher trainings in that issue so that you could plan um, and I realized, I noticed that the two teachers that I had been trained or studying with at Golden Bridge had a training, but it started 
January 3rd or something, and I was still in Tulum. So I missed the first weekend and it was set up for working professionals so that you could practice for an intensive weekend on a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then wait a month and then do it again and then wait a month. So it was stretched out over eight months. And um, long story short, I emailed their assistant and said, oh, I missed your first you know, training. And she said, that's okay. You should come anyway. And then I started to backpedal. And she said, I said, I can't, I can't really afford it right now. Are you doing another one later in the year? And she said, that's okay. What can you afford? (laughs) And I did some quick financials. And then she said, all right, we'll see you next month. And I just remember sitting at my dining room table that night with this wave of energy washing over me. And I burst into tears and I thought, Mm -hmm. okay, this is it. Like I'm jumping in. I don't know what the, where this is going to take me. Um, and it was one of the toughest things I've ever done. I decided to go full in and I was vegetarian. I quit smoking marijuana. I quit drinking alcohol. Um, I was celibate. I just decided to, yeah, to trust, to trust what the teaching said. And it was around the sixth month of my training that just up one day I woke up and my depression was gone and Mm. it has never returned. It's never come back. Wow. Yeah. It's incredible to hear your story. I really appreciate you sharing um, because it does directly impact how you feel. And you, you mentioned that as a part of your journey of, you know, you couldn't really describe it, but you knew that you felt different. And I know that was the same for me with Kundalini um, as well with Vinyasa, but I love hearing you say that like Kundalini is a fast track because that is what it feels like. It feels like if you want to feel different, this is 100% a practice for you and it will work. And so I'd love to, one, I'd love for you to just share with listeners what Kundalini is and what it really is getting at and what makes it different from vinyasa, because I think for a lot of our listeners, they may have never tried a Kundalini practice. They've probably heard of Kundalini, but they might not know even physically what that looks like or what the experience might be like. And then after that, I would love for you to like jam with us on what, what Kriyas are and what that means in the Kundalini tradition, because I find that to be so fascinating and so life-changing. I'll let you share, and then I'll probably share a little bit about my own experience. But from what I know is, you know, Kriyas are set sequences and practices and postures and breath that you'll be using to directly impact something, whether that's anxiety, depression, overwhelm, stress. And I find that to be so mind-blowing that we can do that through yoga, we can directly impact mental, emotional, physical body. Um, So I love for you to share your perspective and what's actually happening or what can happen in a Kundalini practice. Yeah. So I think the first thing that I want to say that makes Kundalini different than let's say Hatha yoga is that it's a somatic therapy. Mm -hmm. So what I mean by that is as human beings, we repress, we tend to repress emotions, painful emotions. So we store them literally in our tissues. So we have this, you know, this phrase that we most, a lot of yoga teachers say that our issues are in our tissues. And what I learned in my yoga therapy training was 
the place in the body where we actually store our repressed emotions. Yes, in our in some of our organs, like Chinese medicine will say, we tend to store anger in our liver and fear in our kidneys and things like that. But we also store them in our tissues, which is our fascia. And so in my yoga therapy training, I remember a doctor coming in and saying that when he was in med school, um, he was taught that the fascia had no purpose. He was a surgeon. And so they were just taught to cut through the tissue and that it had no purpose. And it was only, it's only really been in the last like two decades, maybe that science has started to understand and psychology together have started to understand that it's actually our connective tissue that layers on top of our muscles. That is the place where we store a lot of our emotions. And so through Kundalini yoga, what we do is we do come into like static postures, mostly in meditation, sometimes in a Kriya, but mostly in meditation. And so I would say 90% of the time when we're in a Kriya, we're practicing dynamic movement paired with breath. So dynamic movement with pranayama, which that part, the pranayama paired with movement isn't different than Hatha yoga, but the approach is very different. So we do these dynamic repetitive motions over longer periods of time. So Mm -hmm. twisting back and forth and moving the body or doing cat cow for three or more minutes with a really heavy breath through the nose or um, breath of fire with a static posture. And what we're doing is we're activating that chi life force kundalini energy in the body. And we're starting to awaken more of it. So a lot of it is dormant or it's sleeping and we're making it kinetic and active. And with those repetitive movements, we're moving it throughout the body and we're actually able to release a lot of the repressed emotion that's been stored in our tissues Mm. or in our organs. Mm -hmm. That's incredible. I would say that's, that's probably the most, the number one thing that differentiates Kundalini from Hatha yoga. Wow. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's felt too. What I'm curious what, um, your clients or your students have experienced as far as benefits or changes in their life? Sure. Yeah. Well, being in Tulum, so I first started teaching in Los Angeles, uh, mm-hmm. but now I've been in Tulum for five years. So I teach a lot of people who are visiting and they're staying at a hotel. They've never practiced Kundalini yoga uh, before. And I have many people that come up to me after class and they're just, you know, their eyes are wide and bright and they're, they're just in awe. And they come up Mm. to me and say, what was that? Mm. (laughs) It's like, they have an experience of themselves again, Mm -hmm. whether they've tabled, you know, what that, what their true version of themselves was because they put their children in front of themselves or their grief in front of themselves, or they've been prioritizing something in their life before themselves. Mm -hmm. So I would say that's an aspect of it. People can often cry in a session because they literally are releasing those repressed emotions and their heart feels open. Uh, 
their nervous system. I mean, the two systems that Kundalini yoga really targets first and foremost are the nervous system. So that's our stress response and our endocrine system, which are, which is our hormonal body or our Mm -hmm. hormonal system. And Guru Jagat, I heard her once say this, and I appreciated it so much that I often repeat it. She said, you know, our nervous system is our perception of what's happening in the external world, but our emotions are, are, it's our experience of our internal world. And so when you start to clean up the filters of those two systems, your perception of your life and your outer world and your inner world start to shift and change. Mm. So I see that most frequently that you can have a powerful experience in your very first Kundalini class. Mm -hmm. It's not like you have to practice it for years on end before something miraculous happens to you. So incredible. It's so incredible. I always, I always think to myself when I'm practicing Kundalini, um, and I, I do, I do Kundalini often, at least usually once per week. And it's so wild, the postures and the breath and how they're combined together. And some of the, some of the movements are so out there. Like I've, I've sat there with you with my arms in the air for probably five to eight minutes with my tongue out of my mouth. And then afterwards it's like, okay, now do this you know, and I always tell myself, remind myself that this is so different and unique and wild and like a little bizarre to be doing this with my body and my, um, breath that like, it has to be changing something. It just has, it has to be doing something because it's so different than the ordinary movements that I'm making or how I'm relating or connecting to my breath or what I'm thinking inside. It's, um, it's crazy to me how vigorous, Kundalini actually can be, even though you're not doing jumping jacks, you're not like dancing around the room. Like often you're sitting and repeating these dynamic movements for several minutes. And I know you shared with me before that there is theory and philosophy behind the amount of time that you're doing each Kriya. Could you speak to that a little bit and and what that means in this practice? Well, sometimes we do jump around. Actually, we often jump around. We often roll around. Um, And I I like the word you use, bizarre, because that's how it felt to me in the beginning. I was like, what is this? Like, what are we doing? And as a teacher now going on almost 10 years of teaching the practice, I what I appreciate most about it is that it gives us permission, I think, to do two things. One is to be playful. Um, there's lots of <laughs> Kriyas that allow us the opportunity to get back into our joy and mm-hmm. literally roll around on the floor. There's something in Kundalini called bundle rolls. Gurmukh <laughs> loves to do them. The famous, um, older Kundalini, you know, master teacher Gurmukh, she loves to teach bundle rolls, especially in a packed room of people where you actually have no room to roll around. <laughs> And so what happens is you just like get into this laughter and this joy that is very childlike. Uh, Mm. And I really appreciate that. And the other thing that I think it also allows us to, gives us permission to do that we don't get to do in society is express our emotions and get into Mm. this like really tribal sort of like Kali, let it out, like, you know, Mm -hmm. like fiery burn it to the ground, destroy it. Like, you know, (laughs) Um, 
and in our in our work environment, sometimes, you know, even in our relationships or our friendships, sometimes we don't allow ourselves to express our emotions to that degree because it's quote unquote, we've been taught as we've grown up into adults that that's inappropriate. Mm-hmm. And while, yeah, there it's maybe not appropriate in every situation, if we don't allow ourselves in a safe environment, in a contained environment to express those emotions at some point in our lives, then yeah, what happens is we repress them and then it festers into, it can fester into mm-hmm. disease. Mm-hmm. So um, I forgot your question. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love it because I can see that you're like, you're having like a visual experience of like the memories that you have of the the practices. So the question was about the time, the actual oh, like yeah. time that you do each Priya. Yeah. So there's kind of these time signatures, three minutes, 11 minutes, 22 minutes, 31 minutes, 62 minutes and two and mm-hmm. a half hours. Mostly those time signatures are really about the meditation. Um, The Kriyas all have, so I should say for any of your listeners, there's a, there are a couple of really great resources. If you just want to explore Kriyas, you can find the PDFs or the documents with all the written instructions to the movements. I call them movements. They are asana, they are postures, but because they're mm-hmm. dynamic, I call them movements. Sure. Um, and each and every one of them inside of a Kriya has a maximum number of time that you that is recommended for you to practice. So they th- those okay. time signatures were given to us by the master who brought this yoga to the West, whose name was Yogi Bhajan. And the rule is, uh, as we're taught in training, in our trainings, is you can always decrease the time that's printed. So if it says to practice something something for three minutes, but you're brand new to the practice and it's really activating for you, then just start with one minute. Mm-hmm. Or if it's really challenging for you, just cut mm-hmm. it cut it in thirds, you know, and practice that for like a week, and then build up to the maximum amount of time. But the rule is that you're never to exceed the amount of time that's printed. I would okay. say um, on average, when you're in a Kriya, on average, in the beginning, like Kriyas are the ones that are like more approachable for beginners. On average, mm-hmm. it's three minutes or five minutes, usually. Mm-hmm. But as you get into some of these more advanced Kriyas, where you've built up the strength, you built up the stamina, both physically and in your nervous system, then Mm -hmm. those more advanced Kriyas, you know, you could be doing something for 22 minutes, like the same repetitive movement for 22 minutes. Wow. The time signatures, there's a blog post by 3HO, which is the Healthy Happy Holy Organization, one of um, they, you can Google like Kundalini time signatures and they have a blog post on there. Um, but it just, again, these are more for the meditations, but at three minutes, mm-hmm. you start to change the concentration of your blood just within three minutes of meditation. Mm. Your blood goes from being acidic to more alkaline. And wow. when your blood concentration changes, your mood changes. So like the levels of iodine in your body start to change, shift and change. So it all the systems of the body in, are interconnected, obviously. So 
I've talked, you know, or mentioned the nervous system and the endocrine system, but we're also talking about the respiratory system and your digestive system and all the other systems of the body, right? Yeah. Um, at 22 minutes, your negative, positive, and neutral minds start to come into balance one, with one another. And for me, that's like the any form of meditation or any length of meditation, of course, is supportive for the practitioner. Mm -hmm. But for me, that's the like, that's the mark that there's something mm -hmm. massive that shifts, especially for me. I'm someone who tends to have a very ruminating mind. Mm -hmm. I'm Vata Pitta in, in Ayurveda. So I just, I mean, my mind specifically is very on, it's always fiery. It's always thinking it's, you know, and so for me, that 22 minute mark of meditation or chanting japa, like repetitive mantra for 22 mm -hmm. minutes, that's when my mind starts to sink in because those, the negative, positive and neutral minds start to come into balance with one another. So fascinating. I hope everybody listening is like, <laughs> what? That's incredible. That one thing that you said is that, you know, Kundalini can build stamina in the nervous system over time. And I think that's like, literally like a golden thread for people who are looking to seriously heal and transform for the long term. That's what I've seen Kundalini really do for me. And that was just like so well said to hear you express that because it's something that I've felt but haven't really had words for. And then you started to speak about mantra. And it's actually where I wanted to go next because I've done a 20, 20, 22 minute mantra with you in a Kundalini practice. And it was really helpful for me to hear like why we were doing it for that long and what the mantra was for. And I know there are many, many mantras um, that you can use in yoga practice or Kundalini practice, but can you give us some insight into how mantra works because you've shared that before in classes that I've been in. And I think it's really cool. Yeah. So we have 84 meridian points on the palate of our mouth. 20 of them are on the soft palate of our, our mouth and the other 64 are on the hard palate. According to the yogis and the yogic texts, every tooth has four points. And we're talking about like the gum, not the tooth itself, but up above the gum on the inner part of your mouth, not the outer part. Like if you were running your tongue along the front part of your, not there on the inside of your mouth. And so when we chant sacred mantra, I mean, of course you're always affecting or activating these meridian points when you're just speaking in your native tongue, whether that be mm -hmm. French or Spanish or English or whatever, you're always activating these points, but mantras hold a high vibrational frequency. And so when you're chanting it over and over and over and over again, and this also speaks to what are you, cause I'm also a neuro-linguistic programming practitioner. This also mm -hmm. speaks to what are you saying to yourself all of the time? What is your personal mantra? Are you telling yourself, I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy, I'm not good enough, I'm not good enough? Because that's what you're literally embedding in your frequency. Mm -hmm. Whether it's mm -hmm. mental or you're literally saying it to yourself. Um, these are, this, is, this becomes your truth. And so mantras all have different, like you were saying, whether they're in Sanskrit or they're in the language of Gurmukhi, which is the language that most of our mantras are chanted in in Kundalini Yoga. They hold a sacred frequency. And when we repeat them like in a japa fashion in this monotone over repetitive way, we're consistently hitting a particular or a series of 
points on our mouth. And that's sending almost like a keyboard on a computer. It's sending signals to your brain. Mm. And so it starts to have a literal effect on you at a cerebral and cellular level. Mm -hmm. And mantras all have sacred sound currents in the sense that, you know, some of them are for protection. Some of them are for abundance. Some of them are for creativity or expansive knowing and knowing yourself, having that like inner wisdom, that gnosis or connecting you with something greater than yourself, recognizing that you're not separate from that. And so when we repeat them over and over and over again, we're essentially activating those aspects within ourselves. So beautiful. It's, it seriously is so beautiful. If, you know, if you're listening and you haven't tried mantra medication or Kundalini, it's a really beautiful place to start. Um, and I know for me, you know, I've done this a lot and I'll sometimes just have tears streaming down my face, you know, and I'm thinking about nothing. I'm literally just repeating mantra. Um, and the tears are just streaming down my face. Um, and that to me, you know, was an experience that showed me that mantra really is sacred. And I I really, um, do respect it. And it helps me personally to know what I'm saying and, and chanting. I know Heather in your classes, you do an amazing job of expressing that you're, you're such a, beautiful teacher because I feel like I always know why I'm doing what I'm doing and about how long it will be for there's encouragement um, because Kundalini for those who have not experienced it and hopefully are inspired to try it it's you know it's going to challenge you and it's it's an experience it's a full experience so let's go there next if someone is listening to this episode and they're like all right I'm in I'm ready to try a class how can they get started and what, what would you recommend as far as how to, um, prepare for this practice? My answer to that is really simple to prepare for Kundalini, have an open mind, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. just open yourself up to a completely new experience and any concepts or ideas that you have about yoga, whether you feel it's approachable, whether you have not felt like it's approachable because you feel like you're not flexible enough or you can't control your mind and you think too much, just open yourself up to a new experience and just try, just try it. Mm -hmm. The thing about Kundalini that I love about it is zero experience is necessary. Yeah. There's a lot about the practice that you can know because it can be so esoteric, but there's also nothing you need to know to just go, just go to a class modifications are always welcomed. If you have an injury, if you have bad knees, if you, you know, even if you're pregnant and you know, you can't, you're in your like third trimester of pregnancy and you are currently not able to go to like your favorite yoga class because you can't lay on your belly and do all the postures that you used to do. Mm -hmm. Kundalini yoga is approachable for you because you can always modify Um, And if necessary, you can always skip a posture and just wait until the class moves on to the next movement that you're able to do. Um, Yeah, so have an open mind and also release the need to know. Mm -hmm. I, I, I appreciate you appreciating me for the way that I teach because 
I'm a person who has a innate desire to want to understand and to want to know, but it's also something that I've had to work to let go of uh, Mm -hmm. in my life. Sometimes we don't know. And I didn't know why my depression left. Mm. Ask me if I cared. Mm-hmm. When it left, I did not care. I was just so grateful. Mm-hmm. I was just so incredibly grateful that it was gone. And it wasn't actually until seven years after my depression left that I understood why I had it in the first place. And it was probably about seven years after of like teaching Kundalini and recognizing all the different techniques and tools that helped me to release it. But it it wasn't like one thing that helped me release it. It was a whole Mm -hmm. series of a bunch of different things and a very intense um, amount of Kundalini being practiced in a short amount of time. But you don't have to know. You don't have to know. Just open yourself up to having a possible miracle occur. And that miracle could be that like you have a good cry, you know, Mm -hmm. and you release something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've totally been there. I've totally, I can absolutely feel like a miracle. And you bring up such a beautiful point that although yes, this can be a challenging practice, it actually is very accessible as well. If you know, you're someone that doesn't feel flexible, I'm using air quotes, um, you know, and maybe struggles with vinyasa or you haven't liked a heated practice. Um, this actually really is a practice that can be accessible for someone who is brand new to yoga as well. And I think that's really cool that Kundalini is so esoteric, but it also is very accessible at the same time. And I've, um, listened to their podcasts, you know, where they actually talk about, you know, yeah, Kundalini could, you know, be practiced if you're someone that's in a wheelchair, you know, or, you know, you're blind or deaf. Um, it really is very accessible, but very unique. And it will, it will definitely require an open mind. And so I think that's beautiful advice. Um, so you mentioned earlier when we first, first started chatting that Kundalini is a, a newer style of yoga that, you know, I would say is being brought into the mainstream and more people are practicing and you are, you're a teacher of Kundalini. Like this is what you do. And I, I imagine that it comes with some obstacles of, you know, not teaching vinyasa or maybe styles that people have heard of um, or do find to be, you know, more approachable or that they'll find in their local city. So I'm curious for you because I know myself being an Aquarius, I'm always into the new things. I'm always kind of like paving the way into what's next. And I I often feel lonely in that. And so I'm just curious if you can speak to maybe your career and your profession as a kundalini yoga teacher and teaching something that is a bit more esoteric and um, newer in our yoga world? Yeah, the biggest hurdles that I came across as a teacher happened when I came to Tulum. And I'll say that's Mm -hmm. because in Los Angeles, it just so happens that it was brought to LA in the, in 1969 by Yogi Bhajan. Okay. And so mm-hmm. there happens to be a lot of Kundalini offerings in Los Angeles. <laughs> so mm-hmm. there were a lot of places for me to practice as a practitioner, but also a lot of opportunities to teach in Los Angeles because of that. 
Now, maybe if you live in, you know, middle America or something, you might Mm -hmm. have the same hurdles that I came across in Tulum, which is Tulum, for those of you that don't know where it is, it's about two hours south of Cancun. So on the Eastern part of Mexico in the Caribbean, and it's a very, you know, touristy city. Um, we've got the beach and then the Pueblo. And so when I arrived here, there's, there's lots of yoga here. There's definitely no shortage of yoga classes in Tulum. (laughs) Um, but when I arrived five years ago, it was still a rather small town. It's growing very fast at an exponential rate. But, um, when I arrived here, the, the hotels and the studios were like, nobody knows, we don't know what is Kundalini yoga. Like nobody knows what that is. Nobody's going to want to practice that. Nobody wants that. We don't want to add that to our yoga schedule because people don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. And so just like I had to teach people what Kundalini yoga is, I actually had to educate the decision makers as well and explain to them that like what we just said, it's actually more arguably more important, uh, more approachable than like a vinyasa class because modifications or skipping postures is, you know, permissive. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So I, you know, once I had to teach them, then they were open to it and, and it's blossomed over the last five years. And I think I was the third Kundalini yoga teacher to come to Tulum. Mm. Uh, And the other two who were here prior to me were kind of teaching very quietly and just in like one or two other Mm. places. And now there's over a dozen Kundalini yoga teachers in Tulum. And it's one of the more sought after practices because now it has this like cool factor. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So you know, it's, I definitely overcome the hurdle, but I had to be patient. In fact, a lot of places Mm. asked me, well, that's great that you're trained in Kundalini, but can you teach Hatha yoga? Mm. And so initially I, that in order to get my foot in the door, I did teach Mm -hmm. like some very, you know, basic Hatha classes. Um, but it wasn't my passion. And I realized that I had to really stay true to myself and what, my passion was to share this practice and to share my story because there are so many people that are suffering from mental health mm-hmm. right now, um, mm-hmm. mostly anxiety and depression. And Kundalini is so effective for mental health that I just had to remain like strong in my offering and my passion to te- to teach and share it with new communities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's important to have you know conversations like this because just because you are passionate about something and your community maybe isn't, you know, ready yet for it doesn't mean that your gifts or really, you know, your dharma, your purpose should be dismissed. And I know that I have had to be a trailblazer in my own ways and you clearly are as well. And I just, I I always want to hold space for, you know, others to hear stories of how, um, teachers, healers, coaches are really, you know, staying true to what they know and believe and their mission. Cause there's a big like underlying mission there to really help to heal people from, you know, mental health and similar to your own journey and story there. So I, I appreciate, um, people like yourself who just continue to bang down doors and be like, I'm doing this because this matters and this is what people need. Um, so I hope that, yeah, our listeners, you know, can take that 
piece of advice and wisdom because you you are doing it now. I'd love for you to share what your daily life looks like because you're badass, Heather. Like you, I mean, Heather is out there changing people's lives and you have a lot of different offerings of how you do that. And so I'd love for you, if you can just kind of paint a picture of what your life looks like and your career, because I think sometimes as yoga teachers, we can get caught up in, well, it should be that way, or I can only do this. And I know even myself over the last couple of years, it was kind of like, well, what's possible? What really is possible? And so I'd love for you to share what could be possible based on what, what you're now doing. Well, first of all, thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I appreciate it. Thank you for appreciating me and seeing me and understanding my work and my dedication to helping others. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. My daily life, uh, I teach every high season in Tulum is a little different. This season, I'm teaching four in-person classes at four different hotels um, in Tulum. And this will be the first season that I'm actually going to be offering two of those classes, also streamed online. So being able to open that up so that when I meet people that are here on vacation, they can continue practicing with me once they return back to wherever they live. So that's cool and a new exciting thing. I was, when everything was in lockdown, uh, that went for us too. All the hotels shut down and I went online and I started teaching Mm -hmm. three days a week online. So it's exciting this year to be able to blend those two things together because I think there is something really powerful that happens in the group class. Um, You know, of course, you can still have a really powerful experience practicing something that's like an on-demand class at, you know, the time that's convenient for you, but there is something that's created in the group energy. And so giving people that opportunity to join remotely, but join the group, I think is really exciting. Mm -hmm. Um, So my everyday life looks like that, but also Uh, I mentioned I'm also a neuro-linguistic programming and timeline therapy practitioner. So that's rooted in Jungian psychology. And that's something that I got trained in just about three years ago. And I, you know, I also mentioned that you don't have to know anything about Kundalini yoga, but there's a lot that you can know. Um, I would say I chose NLP because it was a beautiful integration of the unconscious mind and Kundalini works a lot with the subconscious or unconscious mind, Mm -hmm. uh, doing meditations to reprogram, you know, your early years, um, giving you opportunities in the longer, you know, 62 minute and two and a half hour long guided meditations where you get to go back and reprogram a lot of your childhood. Mm -hmm. Um, those are some of the wildest experiences that I've personally had as a practitioner in Kundalini yoga are those really, those guided rebirthing meditations. But NLP also gives me the opportunity to actually allow people to talk about some of their wounds and um, micro traumas and sometimes deeper traumas and heal them like in the moment specifically and very target in a very targeted way. So what typically happens is I'll meet somebody again, that's on vacation. They come to my class, Mm -hmm. they have a really powerful experience and they share with me something that they know is existing or they have some 
consistent block that keeps coming up in their life and they really, they're ready. They're ready to like do Mm -hmm. something about it. They're ready to release it, but they just need a little extra help in guiding them to how to do that. And so 98% of my sessions are virtual. So, which I think is actually nice. We're mo- I, I do think that something that COVID gave us was um, that ability to connect with each other, but yes, like in a social way and regardless of where we are in the world, but specifically for psychology. Yeah. This absolutely. sort of like remote healing. The interesting thing is I think I, I find with my clients that they're actually more at ease and able and willing to let go because they're in their own home. They're not at an office. They're not in some like environment that's unfamiliar with them. They're oftentimes sitting in their bed, comfy Mm -hmm. with their computer, or they've got their dog or cat next to them. Mm -hmm. And they just feel safe to let go. It's Mm -hmm. a container that is very sacred and safe. So my daily life looks like sometimes going to teach in-person classes and then coming home and having, you know, two sessions with, with a private client. Um, and then I do, you know, fun events, um, and workshops, um, with people at different hotels here. And then I'm also moving into a really exciting space of teaching teachers. Mm. So I launched, uh, just, about a week ago. It's now available to the public. It's a course for new Kundalini yoga teachers. You could also almost think of it as like an addendum to yoga teacher training, Kundalini level one yoga Mm -hmm. teacher training, taking all of these like more esoteric experiences that you get in your training, because I would say Kundalini level one is a lot of psychic surgery. It's a lot of you going through your own stuff so that you can arrive at a place where you can hold space for others. Mm-hmm. And it's a little bit about how to teach it to other people. And so you get mm-hmm. out of there having this transformative experience of, oh my God, my life has changed. In my case, I'm free of depression. I want to shout this from the mountaintops and share this with everybody. And wait, how do I teach this to other people? <laughs> so... My course is called The Empowered Teacher um, because actually there's a huge amount of people that go through Kundalini level one just to deepen their own practice. Mm -hmm. And they don't have the idea to teach it in a formal capacity or to wear that teacher's hat, so to speak. But then they have this transformative experience and they are inspired to share it. And so my course Mm -hmm. is more about the practical tools of how to share this practice, how to teach it online, how to incorporate music um, based on my 20 years of experience working inside the music industry and also fortifying your confidence, um, feeling like, oh gosh, I've only been practicing Kundalini for six months. Am I really prepared to teach it? It's like, Mm -hmm. no, you are and you can. So that's also a really exciting thing for me. And it's also now that I've kind of claimed that in my life, (laughs) this, okay, I'm a teacher of teachers. I'm now Mm -hmm. getting opportunities to share the practice at other people's teacher trainings where I'm just Mm -hmm. introducing Kundalini Yoga to their subset of trainees. Or uh, I've been asked, I just finished my third um, guest teaching spot at a breathwork training 
Um, and now I'm going to be working with other people um, other at other trainings. So that also feels really interesting and, and like a, a new role for me that I'm really excited about. Yes, absolutely. Heather is a teacher's teacher for sure. I consider myself the same and it's always like so cozy being around you, whether it's virtually or in person in Tulum when I'm there um, because I feel like we really vibe on that and you are so incredible at holding space. You are so dedicated. Um, I really remember, you know, when I first started working with you that I was just like, this woman is everything that I needed. Um, and I, I really appreciate that. And Heather will be involved in our 300 hour yoga teacher training through the well studio. And I'm so excited for our community to get to learn from you to practice Kundalini. It's going to be really incredible. Um, so I want to end here with just asking you what you hope to see for our industry, um, as yoga teachers and, um, you know, you are a trailblazer that is very clear. And I think it's important for, um, trailblazers to be speaking about what they want to see. So share with us. I'd love to hear. Yeah. I'm really excited about you to join your training. So thank you for that invitation. And yeah, what I see happening in the next five or 10 years for us is this movement that I think was very much a part of the Piscean age, which we're moving more and more out of, we're still sort of in this transition period where we're starting to understand what the Aquarian age is. And um, back in the Piscean age, it was a lot about the guru, like putting your empowerment outside of yourself, looking for your strength for somebody else or something else to guide you through what that meant or how to do it. And I think we're going to be moving more into community as a teacher and also recognizing that each and every one of us has something to share. So like you've been so gracious in crediting me for a lot of, you know, interesting and, and powerful healings that you've personally had Marissa over the last like six months, but I'm a hundred percent certain that when I come visit you in Philadelphia, you have 25 other things that I don't know about that I can learn from you. And mm -hmm. when I was in my yoga therapy training at Loyola Marymount University in California, I learned a term from Larry Payne, who's the director of the program there, that's called an acharya. And mm -hmm. an acharya is someone who teaches through experience because you've overcome something. And so you are able to offer the pathway or ideas for someone's pathway through something because you've done it yourself and you've overcome it. So it's not like this idea that, oh, I'm perfect and I have all my shit together and I have all the answers, but we each, each and every one of us have overcome something in our lives and we can guide somebody with their permission, with their invitation to support and help them through that same experience, because we have the expertise in the sense that we've done it ourselves. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I feel like the coming years are going to be a lot more about that of recognizing, okay, you might have the answer to this particular thing here, or you can share what your experience is and that might help guide me. But then somebody else over here has the answer to something else. Um, mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. and recognizing that it's not, it's not just going to come from one source. And I would say that I've also really stepped more into in the last two or three years, sharing the Kundalini practice in my own way. And because if you read about it, you know, and you go back to the history of like the 60s, 70s, and even 80s of the culture of Kundalini yoga back then in the United States, there's some interesting, <laughs> there's some interesting concepts from a cultural perspective. And mm-hmm. I think we're all being uh, those Kundalini teachers, you know, who are out there, we have more and more permission to share the teachings in our own way and also weave yeah. in other wisdom you know, from other places that could be from a book, from a philosopher, from a poem, you know, from George Harrison. I was watching a YouTube video last night. My God, was he enlightened? You know, he was an incredible yogi, George Harrison. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just bringing all the resources in and not having it have to be some dogmatic thing. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. It makes me excited and hopeful. And like, it spurs me on to want to keep going because that's, that's how I, you know, desire to lead and how I do feel that I lead. Um, but yes, it does feel like we are entering into a new age and a new way of being as teachers. And I think, you know, for those of us that have been teaching for a long time, like you and I, and also for new teachers or aspiring teachers, it's just essential to, you know, hear from others about where we hope our industry is going and also like what we stand for and the part that we can play in that. Um, and I definitely see you playing a huge part in that. So thank you for that. So let's end here. I would love for you just to share where people can stay connected with you on Instagram, your website, and then specifically you mentioned your offerings, but specifically like Let's have you share how people can work with you because you are somebody that I have worked with individually and I do highly recommend it. If, you know, anyone that's listening is feeling stuck or blocked or you've been trying to, you know, work through something through some other modality and it just hasn't quite clicked yet. I do feel that Heather's practices and offerings um, could potentially be that for you. So I'd love for you to share. Yeah, thank you. So you can find me at swanloveholistics.com. That's my website. And a lot of the details about what I'm going to share right now are on that website. That's also my Instagram handle, swanloveholistics, and also my Facebook page. Um, So if you're in Tulum, of course, you can come and practice with me in person. And you can always visit the events page of my website to see when and where. Uh, Starting in December... I'm going to be offering two online classes uh, Monday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern time. So 8 a.m. Pacific on Monday mornings and then also Monday evenings at 8 p.m. Eastern time and 5 p.m. Pacific. So uh, I will be announcing the details and where you can connect starting uh, towards the end of November and the offerings will start in December. So if you want to practice Kundalini yoga, um, and I, I, I'm also going to start allowing those recorded classes to be available on demand. So look for, look for announcements and details about that. If you're interested in working together one-on-one, I do teach uh, private Kundalini yoga sessions. So that's an option also virtually or neuro-linguistic programming and timeline therapy, or my packages when I work with people are really a blend of both. 
So mm -hmm. if we're working on interpersonal stuff, uh, I have an expertise in inner child work. So some people would call that like soul retrieval. So going back, looking at your childhood, where were the wounds um, or perceived wounds that happened during your childhood and going back and healing that, that's some of the work that I'm most passionate about. But I'm also really passionate about teaching people communication skills um, to better them themselves in their work environments and in their interpersonal relationships. Uh, I don't work with couples per se, but I have worked with couples as individuals. So I'm working mm -hmm. with both of them at the same time. Mm -hmm. And then uh, effectively their relationship becomes strengthened and healed. Mm -hmm. um, and then what else was I going to share? If you're a new Kundalini yoga teacher, you can join the Empowered Teacher mm -hmm. uh, program. And I also, from time to time, do work with corporate clients. So if anyone here you know, is a decision maker inside of your company and you want to share uh, tools for reducing stress and anxiety in, in the workplace, uh, I have also led online um, workshops in the, for companies and corporations, and I love doing that as well. So, and if you own a studio and you want to do a retreat, I'm also open mm. for guest spots and, and leading workshops inside of a retreat or at a training like we discussed. So thank you so much. So, so beautiful. Thank you so much. Thank you for being on the podcast and for just sharing all of your wisdom with us. I feel like I learned a lot and it's just been really encouraging um, to hear from you and your perspective. So thank you for being here. Likewise, thanks for allowing me an opportunity to introduce myself more to more of your community. And I look forward mm -hmm. to the training in 2023. Thank you. I personally love hearing from each of you in my DMs about how these conversations are landing for you, what is resonating and the changes that you're making as a result of the wisdom that you're hearing from each of these episodes. So send me a message on Instagram at Marissa Rose Nash and let's connect. There are so many ways that you can stay connected with this work that I'm reading through the Well Studio. And I wanted to invite you into the offerings that we have coming up this year for teachers, aspiring teachers and leaders. In January, you can be a part of the pathway a nine-month immersion that I'll be leading for leaders, healers, coaches, and female CEOs. This will be a consistent container for guidance and support for those of you who are wanting to deepen and to scale in your journey as a leader. In February, our weekend intensive 25-hour advanced yoga teacher training at the Well Studio will be starting and you can learn from myself and Justin Wright about the energetics of yoga, intelligent sequencing, yoga philosophy, energy and anatomy, developing your personal teaching style, and more. And in March, our 200-hour yoga teacher training starts, and this is our in-studio training for those of you who live in the Philadelphia area. 
We start in March and meet every Wednesday night for six months, in addition to four weekend intensives. This will be led by myself and a team of incredible teachers from across the U.S. that will be guiding you in how to become a yoga teacher. And our 300-hour yoga teacher training is coming up in October 2023. And all of our details for each of our offerings to support yourself in your journey as a student and a teacher and a guide can be found at www.thewellstudio.org and www.marissarosenash.com. I will see you soon and I can't wait for the next episode.